Okay, let's turn to the Word of God. Let's turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, and verse 11. It says here, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. And this is the parable of, of the loving father. I know that most people know of this parable as the parable of the prodigal son, but I really think that the, uh, the son and his wasteful period of life are, are not the focus here. Really, the focus is on the loving father and the wonderful um, uh, relationship that he had with his Uh, sons, and we learn so much about their relationship uh, with each other. And um, I'd like to share with you a second message about sin in the church. And um, last week it it was very noticeable that as soon as I mentioned the title of the sermon, Sin in the Church, that the church got very quiet and a little bit tense. And uh, I shared with you right away that uh, it was not going to be painful, that it was going to be encouraging and comforting. I'd like to say the same thing today. So you might uh, think, okay, you talked about sin in the church last week, and and the the twist had an encouraging and comforting uh, message to it, Uh, but last week was last week. That's probably over now. No, 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 no. It's not over now. In fact, I'm, I'm hitting on this message again because I want you to know and to be assured that I meant the things I sent last week. I, it was not like a temporary moment of weakness or insanity or something like that. I intended to say the things I said last week, and I want to repeat a lot of them, and use this account of the loving father, the parable of the loving father, to talk to you about it. The the scripture says here that there was a man who had two sons. Two sons. I made some points about this um, parable about a year ago. I think that many people have wondered if this parable is not the greatest piece of literature ever written by a human writer. Of course, it was spoken first by Jesus. And the focus is on a father and his two sons. And the relationship that he had with those two sons. It's a very simple story. It doesn't have a a lot of um, plot to it. And it's not a very long story. But you can learn so much about the relationship between this father and his two sons. And he had a different relationship with each of these two sons. It was not the same relationship. Jesus has a great deal to say 
in all of his teachings about our relationship with the Heavenly Father. He calls the, the Lord God Father probably more, ta- more times than he calls the Father anything else. He says, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be the children of your Father in heaven. He teaches Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He encourages us. If you then know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He comforts us. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. He teaches us. Worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father, the Father, the Father. Now I've given you a half a dozen very memorable passages where Jesus refers to our Father in heaven. And we could triple this list and quadruple this list and make the list longer and longer. Jesus calls Our Heavenly Father, He emphasizes that again and again. And in fact, I believe that the child-father relationship that Jesus describes for us is a better description of our relationship with God than any other descriptive comparison that Jesus uses. He uses servant-master. It's a part of our relationship with God, but child-father is better and more emphasized by Jesus. He uses sheep and shepherd. How effective that is when it comes to the Lord guiding us and protecting us. But child-father is better than sheep-shepherd deeper, has more sides to it, offers us more. Sheep and shepherd is very helpful for us. Servant and master is very helpful for us. Uh, Servant and master teaches us about obedience and unquestioning faith. And sheep and shepherd teaches us about guidance and comfort. But child and father teaches us about both of those and correction and protection and learning. It's better than warrior or commander. Warrior and commander. It's it's a better way to describe our relationship with God than that one. That one's useful. It's important. It's helpful. But it's not as good as child and father. Harvest and husbandman. We're the harvest. People are often talked about as the fruit of the Lord. The produce of the Lord. And he's talked about as the farmer. That's very good. It's very helpful. It shows our dependence on him. But child father shows all of these things in one relationship. And all of the other ones are metaphors. Figure of speeches. Figures of speech. 
a, a ways, of, ways of saying something else. But child father is the one that's actually literal. We are his children. Praise God. So I'd say it's the best way to understand our relationship with God. The very best. Now, let's... Um, let me give you a few highlights. We're about to read some of this passage, but I'd actually like to give you some highlights um, before we do it. First of all, I'd like to highlight, and then, and then when you'll read it, these things hopefully will stand out to you a little bit. For instance, the younger son, the one that gets himself in trouble, begins with these really important words, that reflect his attitude, give me. He's got the gimmies, right? But we know that during the course of his experience that he comes to his senses. He wises up. And he makes a determination that he's going to go and talk to his father and he's not going to say, give me anymore. Instead, there's a great change that takes place. He says, Make me. From give me to make me. Make me like one of your servants. I don't want to receive from you so much as I want to listen to you now. I want to do everything you tell me to do. I want to share with you another highlight. Anticipate this one. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. His confidence was low. And he he was greatly humbled by his experience in his own sinfulness. But check it out. Because the father will not accept that. And says to him, for this son of mine. He's a son. He's my son. He doesn't come back into the house, my servant. He comes back into the house, my son. Okay, my own father could not grasp very well this whole idea of forgiveness. He was, uh, you know, he, he, he was in the military in World War II and he didn't see action, but he was in the military. He, he lived through the Depression and his parents were very strict and very rigid about their upbringing of him and it was uh, lived with disciplinarians you might say and he very much subscribed to the philosophy that we are self-reliant we have to take care of ourselves anybody, anybody have parents like that you take care of yourself you make your bed 
you sleep in it. He used to say that all the time. You made your bed, you sleep in it. He made his bed, let him sleep in it. She made her bed, let her sleep in it. You're supposed to pay the consequences of your actions and your decisions. And I would tell him for decades, again and again, Dad, Dad, Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. And he'd listen to me, and his head would tip this way and that. It was like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's like, it's not my language. Forgiveness is like not my language. You, you mean I don't, I don't pay the price for what I've done? He wasn't even sure he wanted the deal. It's a problem. It was a real problem for him. It was the whole concept was like foreign to his thinking. But it's not foreign to the Bible, and it's not foreign to God, and it's not foreign to Jesus, and it's not foreign to the gospel. It's true. Jesus Christ has paid the price for our sins, for our judgment. He's taken the the consequences off us. He is a loving Father. The wasteful son wises up in a pigsty and he trusts that his father would forgive him. But he did not understand the extent of the forgiveness that he was going to receive. He was willing to come back to his father and willing to come back to the home. He, said, he had a plan. I'm going to, I'm going to say, I, I'm not worthy to be your son. Make me as one of your servants. I will do everything and anything you ask me. I will be obedient to you. That is a big change in this guy's attitude, isn't it? From give me to make me. Okay, let's read from verses 11, verse 11 to verse 27. I know it's familiar to you, but there might be five people in the room and five people on Living Word Live that have never read through this before. And we'll do it for them, won't we? Jesus continued, verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. He began to be in need, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. Then he came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I'm starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned between heaven I'm sorry, sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I notice he didn't get out all of what he planned to say. It seems to me that the father interrupted him with comfort before he even got to say everything he planned to say. Verse 22 says, But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, The older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Let's stop there. We'll call this part one. This is the part of the parable that people know the best. A lot of the plays and songs and so on cover this part. And a lot of people never actually get to uh, uh, the second part of the story. So let me give you a highlight for the second part of the story. Here we see the brother calls his younger brother, the one who'd been away and been sinning up a storm, he calls him this son of yours. You know, like sometimes a mom might get mad at one of her children and when the dad comes home will say, your son, blah, 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 did such and such today. What is she, disowning him? What is it, this... This uh, unruly boy is no longer her son too? Why not our son? But we understand. Your son did such and such. Your daughter did such and such. It's kind of what the brother is doing here. He refers to his brother as your son, distancing himself from his own brother. But the father wants nothing of it. He says, this brother this brother of yours. He's yours too. He's not just mine. He's yours too. Right? This brother of yours. The father wants to keep his family intact. And that's what I'd like to talk uh, about with you this morning. Let's continue on reading um, from verse 28. The older brother became angry. That really is an uh uh-oh. He became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he assured his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. 
But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The older brother is angry rather than glad and forgiving. He's refusing what's going on in their home. And his, so his anger is putting him on the outside. We'll talk a little bit more about the causes of his anger. He's hurt. He's raw. He complains. Look, all these years... I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Notice, he's, he has not even seen his brother yet. He has not seen the marvelous change that has come about in his brother's life. He is still judging his brother to be the same man he was when he left. And the same man he was when they heard about his sin. He hasn't given his father the respect to take a look at his brother first. Find out what's going on with his brother first. He is willfully ignorant of his brother's condition. And he's angry. In the next verse... He goes beyond this... Accusation of his father, you have not respected me, you have not appreciated me. He goes beyond that. He says, when this son of yours has squandered your property, see, he's telling the story over again, leaving out the end of the story. Focusing only on the old details that make his case in his own mind. He's making a case in his own mind against his brother. He squandered your property with prostitutes. You kill the fatted calf for him. He's accusing the father now of injustice. This is not fair. I did this and that. You didn't do anything for me. He does the exact opposite of what I did and you do so much for him. It's not a, it's not respecting me, it's not appreciating me, and it's injustice. And you know what? The story is powerful for our hearts because there's a lot of truth to what he's saying. There's a lot of truth to what this young man is saying. In addition to which, if you read back at the beginning of the parable, the father divided all the inheritance between the two sons. They both got their inheritance. But we now see 
that the older son must have refused it and said, no, father, you need it. You keep it. It's still yours. It's still in control because the father says, everything I have is yours. It was a very noble, respectful, and humble thing for that son to do. But now he's in trouble. Now he's spiritually in trouble because he's putting forward this accusation of disrespect. I'm not appreciated. Injustice, what you're doing with my younger brother is not fair. I have checked out. He refuses to go into the house. He really has checked out. He's hurt. His faithfulness is disrespected. You favor him more than he, me. He is a sinner. This is unfair. That touches our hearts because we often feel those same kinds of hurt when we may not be appreciated as much as we feel like we should be appreciated, when we feel like we've kept our nose to the grindstone and obeyed God and are not appreciated for it. And then when somebody comes along who has not done as well as we have done and receives a wonderful reception, we may feel like it's injustice and it's unfair. We have a real problem with injustice done against our own person. In this country, when we have injustice done against us, we really rise up. And that's what this older son is doing. He's rising up with that complaint. Unfair. The father, the loving father, hurt his older son. This older son is hurting. He's raw. And you know who did it? The loving father. A lot of Christians will say, you should never, ever hurt anybody, no matter what. And I tell you, that is not possible. Not only is it not possible, it's not even right. We have to make decisions sometimes, big decisions sometimes, that are likely to hurt other people. Not because we want to hurt other people. Not because we intend to hurt other people. But we may hurt other people. We may even realize when we make those decisions that it will hurt other people. But we have to make them just the same. This loving father... You telling me he did not have any clue that his actions were going to hurt his older son? You could think that. I don't think that. I think that's why Jesus is telling this parable. Because God makes decisions that we don't understand, that may even hurt us. But he's got to make them. He's got to do them. The father goes out to the son in verse 28. I would say, especially in the Bible culture, in the culture of the Bible lands, that for the father to run to his younger son when his younger son is on his way back from his 
time of sinfulness, those guys didn't run. You know, you were very dignified and you were like a king and you were the head of the clan and, you know, you walked with your uh, chest out and your chin up and slow and majestic and royal. I know. He ran to his younger son when he saw his son coming back and fell on his neck and wept, right? He's a very humble father. A picture of our God in heaven. In addition, he comes out of the house and away from the celebration in order to try to make things right with his older son who is refusing to come in the house. In that culture, that's kind of demeaning too. I've decided to have a party in my house. It's my house. It's my party. If that son of mine will not respect my decision and come into my house, far be it from me to encourage him in that self-pity and go out there and talk to him. Oh no, it's not the way he deals with it. He goes out to his son. And I think he goes out to his son Because his son is making some kind of sense. The son son has an algorithm, the older one. I worked. I stayed home. I did everything that was told me. I gave my inheritance that you gave me. I gave it back to you until a later day. And this wasteful son comes back and you treat him so nice. This hurts me. So in verse 31, the father really encourages him. You're always with me. And everything, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. You know, if you read into this a little bit, you might realize that the older son might be worried if his father is going to divide the inheritance again. The younger son got his part. He went away and wasted it. The older son got everything else. It was actually quite a bit more than the younger son would have gotten if, if we imagined the, the cultural rules of that day. He would have gotten double. The older son would have got double. He may be worried that, what, are you going to divide up my inheritance now? I gave it all back to you so that you could give part to him again. The father is assuring the son, everything I have is yours. You get it all. Don't worry. This is not going to mess up your inheritance. But we had to have a party. We had to celebrate. Your brother is home. Your brother! Can I hear an amen? The father has sort of a two-part message to his older son. The first part is, you're always with me. He's combating the son's accusation. Disrespect. You disrespected me. You didn't appreciate me. He's combating that. Son, You're always with me. Do you see? I recognize it. I see it. I know. I know. I appreciate. I respect you. You're always with me. I respect you. I appreciate you. No, son. I don't accept the accusation that I don't respect and appreciate you. I do. Doesn't look like it. Doesn't look like it to me. 
Then the father says something to combat the son's accusation of injustice. He says, everything I have is yours. This is not good. You are not about to be cheated. You are not about to be cheated. You want a lamb? For, you want to kill the fatted calf? Kill the calf. Kill the lamb. Kill the goat. It's all yours. Everything I have is yours. There will be no injustice here. How does the father do? How does he succeed? This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. The trouble is, the family is still not whole. Because the older son will not come in the house. It's the great tragedy of the parable. I want to ask you, what is the tragedy in this parable? Is the tragedy the loss of money? Think of Jesus now and all that he teaches. Is this, is this tragic? Is this a desperate situation that the, first, the younger son went and lost all of his inheritance? Is that a tragedy? Is this a tragedy? He went out there and he lived a period of his life where he went deep into sin. He wasn't saying no to anything. He was just all about sin and all of its pleasures. I, I imagine that if, uh, if he had an inkling that something would give him pleasure, he never even thought about it as if he had no conscience at all. He just went for it one thing after another. Is that period of his sinfulness the tragedy in the story? In a sense, that's where people stop reading this parable. At the, son, the young son's sin and his coming to his senses and returning home, and we're left to think that the real tragedy was his period of sinfulness. But I will tell you, this, the parable does not stop with the son's return to home. It stops with the father talking to his older son. And the real tragedy of the story is not even the unfair treatment of the older son, but it's the son's refusal to come into the house. That's the tragedy of the whole story. The estrangement of that family is the great tragedy. Likewise with Jesus. His chief concern is not losing money. His chief concern is not being, if, if one of us are an embarrassment to this world, to the public, to the church. An embarrassment! That's not the chief concern. The Father in heaven is rich enough to put a glorious garment and a ring and beautiful sandals on any person who comes from the pigsty if that person will only humble himself and repent. He's got enough resources to put a robe on those who have come from the muck and mire of sin. He's got enough resources to kill the fatted calf for those who have wised up 
come to their senses, humbled themselves, repented. He came back saying, make me one of your servants. In other words, I will do everything you tell me to do, Father. Just tell me to do it, I'll do it. Tell me to jump, I'll ask how high. I will obey. He's a changed man. There's room at the table in the Father's house for a sinner. A sinner has a home in the Father's house. The chief concern of Jesus in telling this parable is to get everybody back in the house and talking and looking at each other face to face and getting to know each other. Older son, come in the house. Get to know your younger brother. He's a different man. You'll be so shocked. You'll be so surprised at how he has repented, how he is humbled, how cooperative he is in spirit. Remember that evil spirit he had? It's gone. Come in the house. Come in the house. The father in the parable is God. The money in the parable is our freedom, our opportunity in life to do what we want to do in life. The younger son is the sinner. The pigsty is becoming spiritually broken and bankrupt. The older son is the Pharisee. Each of these elements in the story represents something in the life of Jesus and that he was dealing with and that has come down to us in maybe different words and forms and figures, but it's among us today too. What's the house? The father is God. The money is our freedom and our opportunity. The younger son is the sinner. The pigsty is being spiritually broken and bankrupt. The older son is the legalistic Pharisee. What is the house? What is the table? The rejoicing. I will tell you, it is the family of God. So many believers are deciding not to go to church. It's happening right here in central New York and many of them who used to come to Living Word Church have decided not to go to church anywhere. That is the tragedy. They have been hurt. I know. They have been hurt. They perceived that an injustice was done to them and so they quit the house of God. They perceived that they were not appreciated as they should have been and this was not fair and this was disrespect and so they decided, like the older son, I'm not going in. I'm done. I'm not going in anymore. That is the tragedy. I know I have hurt many people. I'm sorry. To my knowledge, I did not intend to hurt people. But I did know that a decision that I made might hurt a family, a husband, a wife, a kid. Might hurt a whole clan sometimes. Knew a decision might hurt someone. But I felt like the decision had to be made. 
I'm not saying I've always made the right decision. I'll talk about that in a minute. I'm not claiming self-righteously that I always did the best thing. But it wasn't intended to hurt, even though it was anticipated to hurt. Yeah, I like this story Sister Janet Gray tells about going to the dentist one time. I think it was pretty deep uh, drilling that they had to do. And the dentist told her, I know this hurts. I'm going to hurt you as I drill here, but just hang on for a minute or two. Am I telling the story okay, Sister Janet? She said close if you couldn't hear her. And I think that gave her a bit of comfort and a bit of uh, stoicism to endure the drilling. I mean, I've tried that, but it hasn't helped me endure the drilling, but it helped her, I think. The dentist doesn't intend to hurt you, but he's got to do a procedure that he knows will hurt you. I've hurt people, no question. I wanted to do the best thing and make the right decision, but like the father came out of the house to meet the older son who was complaining because he was hurt. That was disrespect. That was injustice. I, in this very moment, on this camera, on these screens, am coming out of the house to tell you, let's talk. I hurt you. Let's talk. But by all means, don't stay out of the house. The house is good. The house is God's family. The house is God's place of blessing. Don't cheat yourself, rob yourself, hurt yourself more by folding your arms and saying, I'm not going in. I'm trying to follow the example of Jesus' parable. Come home to church and the good life, and the good fellowship that God has for you. The older son took on this passive aggression. I'm not fighting you, Father, but I'm not cooperating either. Arms folded. I'm not praising the Lord. I'm not praying. Pray for my brother. I'm not coming in. He won't listen. He won't cave in. Most of all, he won't be happy about the same things that make the father happy. The father is very happy that his younger brother came home. Or the younger son, sorry. The father is very happy about it. Kill the fatted calf. Put a robe on him. Have a celebration. The original language indicates there may have been singing and dancing in the house. He's very happy. The older son is? I'm not going to be happy about what you're happy about. You're happy about it, I'm angry about it. Oh my, that is the tragedy in this parable. That now, can you imagine, the son that went to a far country is close to his father 
and pleasing and blessing his father in the house. And the one who never left the house physically or left the estate physically is now a million miles away from his father. What an irony. Ask, uh, ask, um, ask yourself, is the older son, who's now angry and won't go in the house, is he actually as bad off as his younger brother was when he left town? Or maybe even worse? In worse condition than his brother? Once again, verse 31 My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. That was intended to comfort the son, but it doesn't. You see what just happened? The elder son has cut himself off from the father, just as the younger had earlier. He's in a faraway place. He's an outsider now. And I want to tell you, I'm on the air today. I'm in church today to tell you, your best life is not outside of the church. Your best life is not away from the house of God. Your best life is in the house, not away from the house. You may need to come back from a life of sin. Or you may need to come back from a hurt. Because you, were, you felt not appreciated or taken for granted. Maybe the father in the parable sort of did take his older son for granted. Maybe I took you for granted and wasn't sensitive enough to your pain. Will you forgive me, please? Older son, will you forgive your father? He's hurting you by accepting your younger brother like that. Forgive him so your ears open up to hear what he has to say. What was the spoiler in the older son's life? His self-righteousness. As I said, he represents the legalistic Pharisees. 1 Samuel 3.3 says this, The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. And you know how the Lord spoke to Samuel. And Samuel became a great prophet and seer in the Lord, right? What does it say? The lamp of God had not yet gone out. Let me tell you something. The lamp of God has not gone out at Living Word Church. We have Samuels right now being brought up in the spirit of the Lord and being made well equipped to speak the word of God with godly inspiration and the power of the Holy Spirit. It takes trust. I'm asking for trust. It takes trust for forgiveness to happen. From both sides... The younger sinful son had to trust that his father would forgive him. And the father did. More than the sinful son believed was even possible. He thought he'd be satisfied to become a servant in his father's house. And his father ushered him into the table in a robe and a ring. I would like a chance to show that kind of forgiveness. 
to the sinner who's out there separated from God and separated from the house of God. My phone number is 315-380-1931. Give me a call. I'd like a chance at this kind of forgiveness to forgive the sinner, to forgive the, the broken, to forgive those who are, are, are lost and outside of the house of God. But it'll take trust. If I go back, are they going to parade me through the gauntlet? Look, if you're broken and you're humbled and you just have come to your senses, there's a robe and a ring for you. But the older son, the injured son, he also needed trust to forgive. If you're going to take the step and get forgiveness, it takes some trust in those who are you, you are trusting to forgive you. But if you are the one who must forgive, you are on that side of it. You are the one who has to forgive. You also have to trust. I don't trust this younger son of yours. He's your son. He's young, this younger son. I don't trust him. I'm not forgiving him. I'm a very forgiving person, but I'm not stupid. And so I'm not trusting him. That's forgiveness. The dad didn't even get a chance to say, you got to see your brother. you got to see him. He is so, you, you won't even recognize him. He is so different. For one thing, he is really worn out by his experience. He, he's, he doesn't have any strength yet. But the other thing is, in his spirit and in his heart, he is repentant. He will do anything we tell him to do. He needed to trust too. He needed to trust his father. And he needed to trust the righteousness and the strength of his own home. Our home can do this. Our family can do this. This is going to be tough. For our family to get healed by what my younger brother did. This is going to be challenging. This is going to stretch us. This is not going to be comfortable or easy every step of the way. But you know what? I trust in the strength and godliness of my home. I trust in the presence of my father at that table. It will work. It'll happen. As I said last week, there will always be sin in the church. Jesus tells us that. There has always been sin in this church. Even when we've come out strong and heavy against a particular sin in the church, in the meantime, there were people over here and people over there under the radar in sin up to here. Right? There will always be sin in the house of the Lord. And that means for it to remain the house of the Lord, there always has to be forgiveness in the house of the Lord. Forgiveness makes it a home. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Keeping all the sin out will not keep the house safe. It's the impossible dream. If we're too zealous about keeping all the sin out, we will do too much hurt, too much damage. I told you, hurt is unavoidable. Some pain is unavoidable. It's not intended, but it's, it's, it can't be avoided. 
But I will confess to you, I told you I would return to this subject of my request for forgiveness. I confess to you, I was overzealous sometimes in trying to keep the church on track and clean and righteous before God. A little too zealous sometimes. Not always too zealous, but sometimes for sure. Too zealous, and too zealous meant too much hurt, too much pain. It was just a, a lack of wisdom. My bad. My bad. Please forgive me. Home is not a sinless place. It's a forgiving place. This church is already welcoming many sinners home. Many lone sheep back into the flock. We are also welcoming back those who have been hurt. And, are, and, and want to be healed. We are near to a breakthrough. I'm talking about a major breakthrough. We are near to a major breakthrough, and I want to tell you, if you're standing on the outside, don't stand outside waiting to see what will happen. Because God will use your trust and your faith to step across the line of the threshold, to step across that threshold that I've heard is so hard to cross. Step across that threshold by faith and with trust and forgive when necessary and be forgiven when necessary and let's go to heaven together where we will live together forever. We will live together there forever in the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus goes before us to prepare a place for us now. Cross the threshold. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Today and now, Jesus is coming against the strongholds of the enemy and the gates of the devil. I say, all evil, give way before the Lord Jesus Christ. All bitterness, be healed. All feelings of wrongs and injustices, may they lose their power to keep the brethren out of each other's lives. Psalm 42.4 says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. All healing is made possible by Jesus Christ. And the blood that he shed on that cross. So let us all open our hearts to God. And let him work inside us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Oh Lord, we ask that this word would stick and do its work like medicine, oh Lord. If there is some pain with it, oh Lord, we pray that we have grace to accept that. But, oh Lord, we want you to have your way. Oh Lord, we will do anything you tell us to do 
In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you tonight.